Welcome to Savage. I'm your host, Kelsey Kenry, CEO, wife, and mom of three. This is where you find the aligned strategy and mindset shifts to unleash your power, unlock your freedom, and step into your full potential as a CEO. Every episode is full of tough love and hard truths with a side of tactical guidance to expand your success. You ready? Let's do the damn thing. Welcome to the Bravehearted Podcast, where we are changing the way you get inspiration by allowing you to hear resilience and victory in hard stories. We discuss new methods on handling life situations so you can show up confidently in your life. We are different because instead of just giving you inspiration through stories, we give you actionable tools to make the change that you want to make. Let's live bravely today. guys welcome to episode 10 i'm so excited that you're here with us today and i'm going to let mindy introduce our guest but just before we get started as a reminder my name is kelsey and i am a life coach and personal development speaker working with women all over the world to find their confidence and live their days in a more brave courageous way hey guys i'm mindy career coach and business guru Just as a reminder, some of the material we talk about is deep and can sometimes be controversial, so please use headphones when you're listening in public or around children. And like Kelsey said, it is episode 10, and we have an incredible guest with us here today. I'm so excited. Uh, Jessica Simpson Henriquez has joined us, and Jess is a writer. She's a teacher. She's a coach and just an incredible person all around. Um, So we're really excited to have her here to chat about her story and her life. Jess, you want to take just a minute to kind of introduce yourself? Yeah. Hi. First of all, I'm super excited to be here. I love what you guys are doing. I think it's so important to talk about bravery and struggle and accomplishment and defeat and all of those things that go with it. So I am thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. Let's see. What about me? I am a writer. I've, I feel like that is the one way that I've always defined myself, but I'm also a mama to a seven-year-old boy. I am living in Bali, <laughs> question mark. What am I <laughs> Uh, But I've been in New York for the last decade of my life, and I have a book coming out later this year called If You Loved Me, You Would Know, which has been a labor of love for the last four years of my life. So, I mean, other than writing, the other passion that I have is just really connecting with women and hearing their stories. I That has been a journey for me, but at this point in my life, all I want to do is read and write and talk to other women. It's it's literally like all the only desire that I have. So I get to do that here. Thank you. I love it. Yes. Kelsey and I are the same way. All we want to do is read and write and talk to other women. So it's, <laughs> it's the perfect, perfect uh, mix. So awesome. Well, I'm really excited. Um, you know, obviously, like I read a little bit about your book. So it's a memoir, right? So it's going to talk about like yeah. your entire story, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. Every time um, I tell somebody that I've written a memoir, usually if they're older, they'll be like, you're so young. And I always think that that's such a, I mean, I know that a lot of writers, a lot of memoirists hear that as, as a response, but I think it's such a weird piece of feedback because I think that the most, sometimes the most significant impactful things happen to us when we're young. And then we spend the rest of our, you know, they say that the things that happen in the first seven years of your life are the things you spend the next 70 years unpacking. And I think that's so true. So yes, I am 34 and I have lived, I mean, man, I have lived. Um, I hope that the rest of my life is like smooth sailing. (laughs) I know it's not going to be. But yeah, so my book is a memoir and it covers so much about family and siblinghood and love and romantic love and trauma. And, and of course, I think the most significant part is how do we recover from the things that 
seem to stunt our growth or the things that, you know, the, I don't want to use the word traumatize because it seems so permanent. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how do we, how do we recover from the things that stop us <laughs> in our tracks that kind of hit pause on our life for a while? So the book is, you know, it's, it, I covered so much ground. Oh my God. Uh, that's why it took four years to write. Cause when you look at your life, there's so much that's happened and there's so much that feels significant, but isn't in terms of a book. So I will say if anyone has an extra four years to spare and you really want to dive into your, <laughs> you want to dive into your healing, write a book because I spent four years looking at patterns really just like looking at all of the patterns that I was making in relationship, in my self-care, in my journey to, you know, to knowing myself and loving myself. And it was not pretty and it was not fun, but it was illuminating just to see like, wow, I did this how many years ago? And, you know, oh, I went through this experience because it would make sense and prepare me for this later. It was just really eye-opening. And so... Yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll see uh, if my book, when it's out, if it inspires others to do the same kind of inventory, but it's hard work to look at what hurts, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think you said a couple of really impactful things here. So the first thing, you know, is like people talking about your age, you know, age is truly just a number. You know, there's so much living that happens in such a short amount of time. And I loved how you said, you know, you spend the next 70 years unpacking so much that happens in just a short period of time. Um, and people tend to forget that they tend to forget that, you know, things that, you know, people think that you've had like this long, you know, long, crazy life. And that's when you should really be reflecting. But I think that, you know, that's short selling yourself and you should be reflecting regularly and looking at your life and taking that inventory regularly. So that's really important. Um, but something, yeah, something else you said too that interests me is the patterns, right? So the patterns that you picked up on when you were writing the book. So talk to me a little bit about that, kind of what came to light for you when you were writing the book that was important to you. Absolutely. I am, I'm sure you, you both must know about this app called The Pattern already. Please say yes. Oh, I don't know. Okay, well, email me in three days when you're when you resurface <laughs> because basically it's called the pattern, and this is like a I don't even know when they made it, maybe a couple of years ago, but you put it in it's based on numerology and a couple of other factors, but it shows you so much about yourself. It's like one of the you know like not personality tests, not the ENT, ENFP things, but it's it's so concrete and it's so spot on. It's called the pattern. Download it. <laughs> totally unpaid sponsorship. Okay. But Love it. That aside, before I had that app, I had to rely on therapy. <laughs> you know, like yes. I had to yes. <laughs> actually talking out what my past was and what my patterns were. So one of the things that emerged for me uh, that was like such a tough realization to accept and just to acknowledge was I guess I'll back up a little bit. So I was raised in a very Christian household with two older brothers. My parents were married for 34 years. I never saw them fight once. But now that I have a child and I remember being a child, there's so much that you pick up on with energy. So even if there are no plates being thrown, even if there are no words being shouted, there was still this feeling in my home that there, you know, that there was something missing. I watched my parents need things from each other that they could not or would not give each other. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, as a kid, watching your parents, how they love each other or how they don't love each other is a masterclass on how relationships work, how, how you know, we grow up thinking this is what it's supposed to be. This is the example that I've seen. And, you know, so very early on, I was, I was brought into a home where my mom felt a lot of pain and a lot of a lot of responsibility in staying in that marriage because she was Christian and she was a Baptist minister's daughter and there's so much shame that comes with divorce even now but especially then also she had three kids so it's like yeah cool I'll just <laughs> take these this small soccer team and leave and go yeah. and go live my own life 
So, you know, I, I grew up in that environment and I, from a very young age, I knew what pain felt like. I knew what keeping secrets felt like. I knew what, I just knew what heaviness felt like. And so one of the things that I realized in writing my book is that I grew up and became a young woman and I sought out relationships that made me feel, um, just to be more specific, I was sexually abused when I was little uh, by a cousin a few years older than me, which by the way, in the majority of sexual abuse of children, it happens with in, uh, when it happens with children that are between three and five years older than them. So I think it's always like people assume the creepy uncle, um, but it's so often with just children a little bit older. So I had that experience from the time I was five until I was seven. And, you know, that on top of watching my mom stifle her own struggle, I learned how to do that really well. And so I grew up and I looked for an unknowingly, right? We, we think we're looking for tall, dark, and handsome, but in reality, our, our, our inner being, our souls, like they're reaching out for something that replicates what we know. And what I knew was pain. I knew feeling um, inferior. I knew feeling uncomfortable, not knowing where I stood in a relationship, not knowing, you know, not having security or stability. And I replayed that in every romantic relationship I was in until, <laughs> honestly, until I stopped and, and started reflecting really, really. And, you know, before I would say, oh, I'm just, I just have bad taste in men. And, and I always end up with, uh, with men that cheat or they lie or they hide. You know, when I was in college, I had a serious relationship. My first serious relationship was five years. And it's just the, you know, these beliefs we have, these narratives, like we often internalize our narratives. So if we continue to partner with men that are not honest, then we'll say, well, you know, I just have bad taste in men. We put it on ourselves so often. Mm -hmm. Instead of like looking at the behavior, examining it and changing it, it's just, it becomes a part of our story um, and the way that we define ourselves. So yeah, I I was watching. I had a I had an amazing therapist a few years ago, maybe before I started writing this book. And she, you know, so often we have friends that are just will sit there and listen, and they'll comfort us, and they'll pat our backs, and they won't really be that hard, you know, voice that we sometimes need to hear. And my therapist said, if you don't like your life then you need to acknowledge that you have built this life. If you don't like your relationship, you need to acknowledge that you have built this relationship. If you don't like the way that someone treats you, then you need to acknowledge that you taught that person how to treat you. And it was this awakening moment where, you know, I'd been so accustomed to blaming everything external from me, right? Everything happens to me. Every, it's, a, it's a victim narrative. And I've been so used to blaming everything outside of me that the second somebody put the responsibility in my lap, it was both, I mean, obviously heartbreaking to know, oh, I've been doing this. I've been causing and curating all of this pain. But then it was such a relief because if I was the cause, if I was a person who was causing it and continuing it, then I was also going to be the person who could stop it. Mm -hmm. And that was just a game changer for me, you know? Yeah, getting that control back, like just being able to recognize that you own your life and you own your story, so powerful because we do. And it's so funny when you were telling this story, like I was just thinking back to my own personal story. And I'm sure Kelsey kind of felt the same way. Like the things that I saw and witnessed when I grew up, you know, I think everybody in some sense, whether they recognize it or realize it or not, those relationships do form in your head and that gives you the idea of what you're supposed to be looking for subconsciously. And then you go after those things and you end up in this perpetual circle of mm -hmm. like doing these things to yourself until you do take control and take responsibility of those actions. So that's incredible. I, I mean, just an incredible story of going from like being in this cycle of hurting yourself to taking control and making changes in those behaviors. So talk to me about how you ended up with your therapist. Like, how did you decide enough is enough? Like, I need to make a change. What sparked that? Oh my God. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> I've always been the kind of person where 
I've dealt with stress for most of my life, Mm -hmm. some form of stress. And so it takes a lot to break me. I, I would say that, that it takes a lot to break me. I would hope that it would take a lot to break me. But the reality is that, you know, I'm the kind of person where I just pile things up and pile things up and pile things up. And then like one day when I can't find my car keys, the world is ending. Like <laughs> everything is over. <laughs> this is the thing that brings me to my knees. And honestly, for me, it was when I was, it was when I was 29, 30 my life had been a series of ups and downs and ups and downs. And that's exhausting. You know, mm-hmm. I would envy people who would, you know, just like go to college, marry the bank teller at their local bank, have four kids. And it was like, how, in my opinion, it was like, those people have stability. They know what they're getting the next morning. They know the person they're waking up next to. They know what's in front of them the next five years. Mm-hmm. At least I, I imagine. And so I had such an unstable life that, you know, when I was 29, I was in grad school or I had just, was just about to start grad school to get my MFA at Columbia for creative writing. And there's such a drinking culture in, in all colleges in the United States. And I thought for sure, like, well, we're all adults now in grad school. I had a three-year-old son. Like, um, you know, I didn't even think it would be an issue. I had never really had much of a relationship to alcohol at all in my life. I didn't grow up around it. My dad was a recovered alcoholic. We never had any alcohol in our home. I think I maybe got drunk a couple of times in college, like really two or three times (laughs) in four years. And so when I started grad school, I was suddenly around all of these writers and you know they were so we were all so young but I was one of the only mothers so when you don't have the responsibility of waking up and taking care of another human the next day your drinking reaches levels of like insanity so I started drinking like the people around me were drinking mm-hmm. and I didn't realize how much I guess I didn't I didn't realize how how much emotion I, I didn't let out. And then I would drink and I would, I would get very angry and I would get very sad, you know, like these emotions that I kept so removed from my life because they didn't, I didn't have time for them. I didn't have time to deal with them. You know what I mean? Those things yeah. that you know, they're in there somewhere. They probably should be dealt with at some point. You know, it just got to this point where I looked at my life and I had been writing and working so hard for so long. And I had been off and on with my partner at the time. And it was just like, I don't, I am not satisfied in any part of my life. I I don't think that I'm mothering my child the best that I can. I don't think that I am in a relationship that is offering or tapping into the love that I want or need or am capable of. And I don't feel great about my work. This, you know, I've been a writer my, my whole life I've been writing. And I felt resentful to like everyone who asked anything of me, every editor who wanted to work with me. I was just like, you know, when you feel dissatisfied in your life, it creeps into every part of your being. And so when I drank, it was like, there was no escaping it. I could, it overwhelmed me that feeling. And so on my 30th birthday, I remember my parents came to visit and I, um, we went to dinner, we went, you know, we just had what should have been a super easy, lovely 30th birthday dinner. And I ended up getting very, very drunk. Like, I don't remember walking home that night. I don't remember, I don't remember much of that night. And the next day, I was so embarrassed, which I think anyone who has ever had an unhealthy relationship to alcohol knows that feeling the next morning where they're like, what, who, who was I last night? <laughs> you know, what did I do last night? And the next morning I woke up and I went outside on my stoop and I was talking to my dad and, you know, he has his own very difficult history with alcohol. And he turned to me and I said, dad, I think I need to stop drinking. And he said, yeah, I think you do. And it's not because of how much you're drinking, but it's because of who you become when you drink. Mm -hmm. And when he said that, it was just this realization of like, but I'm not becoming anyone. This is what's in me. Like it's only visible when I drink. And so that for me was like, girl, if this is going to be the last number of years of your life, jumping from relationship to partner, hoping that a job or a man or an opportunity or some level of success is going to be the fix. And the thing that makes you satisfied and feel like you're living with purpose, 
you are wrong. <laughs> like it's never going to be any of those things because you have to first fix what's inside of you before anything in your life looks like you want it to, you know? Yes. So that got my ass into therapy. And I, I, I had an amazing therapist in New York and I saw her diligently committed loyally for two years. And she changed my entire life. Because again, I was at a point where I went into her office and I said, I need my life to be different than it is. I will sacrifice sheep. I will do any kind of voodoo. I don't care what you ask of me. I will do it. <laughs> like I'm at that point. And so, you know, thankfully, no animals had to die in my healing. But I had to, <laughs> I had to do some hard, hard work, you know? The work that we... Many of us spend our whole lives avoiding looking at what hurts so that we don't have to relive that pain and finally, once and for all, heal it. It's so amazing to me because I'm listening, I'm listening to you talk and there I'm having like the a serious physical reaction. I have tears in my eyes. My heart is beating so fast and I, your, your story is so similar to my story. And like, as you're speaking, I just, I I'm feeling it like in my, my soul so, so much. And I, um, I'm not sure how much you know about my story, but I had a very bad problem with, with drugs and alcohol. And it was, um, my third arrest when I woke up in the medical unit in a suicide suit because I was going, I said I was going to kill myself. That was my turning point. But I think it's really powerful what you said about that it has to be your choice. You mm -hmm. have to, you have to want to make that choice in order to change and look at your life and say, I'm living this way and I don't want to live this way. And then beyond that, be willing to do the work that goes along with that. And I think, I mean, it's everything that you're saying <laughs> between like the, the sexual trauma to the drinking. And my timeline was a little bit different because it was when I was about 14 is when I started all of this. But regardless, like I, I feel it a lot and I appreciate Anytime I hear something like this, that it reminds me, it's always a good reminder to know that we're, we're not alone, but it's, no, very, absolutely. it's very powerful absolutely. to hear your words. I appreciate, I just appreciate you sharing. And I, I thought it was important to tell you that like, it, it matters. It matters to hear, to hear you speak. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. And you know, I, I feel like what you just said is so real and it's so honest. And I think that the, the most difficult thing to do as a human being is to stop your behaviors, which are patterns, which are things that we've been doing forever and ever, mm -hmm. and then change them and do all of this work when we don't know what the outcome feels like. We are trusting the person mm -hmm. who says, I promise you, I promise you, if you do this, your life will get better. You're like, okay, yeah. I'm going to trust you because I don't know that life you're describing. I don't know yeah. that love you're talking about. You know, So we're really just going on blind faith. And honestly, I think it's really blind hope and desperation. Because yeah. we're, I mean, at least for me, it's like whatever's on the other side of this healing has to be better than what I'm doing now. Mm. And I think that is really the motivator, which is like, <laughs> you know, I don't want to see how much worse it can get. So I'll do whatever I have to do to get to a different life. One that, you know, like when we're little girls, I think so many of us before our life splits, and for some of us, it's very, very early, but before your life splits into, you know, more painful fractured parts, we have this like beautiful hope of what we can become and what we can do and what we can achieve and who we can be. And then it just like starts to pile on and pile on and pile on until you have lost total sight of what that life even looked like. So in therapy, that was so much of my work was, oh my God, like so much of my work was identifying what those desires were. What did I want my life to look like? What did mm -hmm. I imagine family looking like? And, you know, for me, one of the biggest breakthroughs in therapy was 
was realizing that my desire was so often as an adult, right? As a, my desires as an adult was so often created within the confines of what I believed I deserved. I think it's very interesting on the subject of therapy and going back to something that you said in the beginning, actually, about the first seven years, because I specifically remembered, because I too went to therapy and I, I tell people, I'm like, that it changes changes your life. And even, you know, being a life coach, I'm somebody who I'm like, you know, will recommend therapy for people. Like I am not a, I'm not a substitute. I can be a supplement, but definitely like therapy will change your life. And I specifically remember in therapy going through the years, we went through birth through seven, seven to 14 and 14 to 21 and the things that happened in that. So when you said the first seven years, I was like, oh, I specifically remember walking through that and the impact of what we see as children. And I have a one-year-old and a three-year-old as well. So I definitely, it's interesting thinking about patterns about, you know, if we don't recognize our patterns, we can't change them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we don't even see the similarities. I mean, that's the part that's so frustrating is you know, you just, we just need that little buffer of space or perspective to see, you know, the similarities between the relationships that we're in and the work that we take on. Like, I don't know, we're just so involved in the minute by minute occurrence of our life that if we don't take the time to step back and really study it and inventory it, it's like, we have no idea who we are, or what we're doing. We just keep allowing things to happen to us. But I was going to say that, you know, I feel like what we do, I'll just speak for myself, what I did from almost all of my life until I was 30 was I wanted whatever was comfortable, right? I, we all want what we know. We want what's comfortable to us. And what was most comfortable for me was pain. And mm-hmm. that was an illuminating wake-up call was that I was recreating that pain and that sadness and that frustration I was craving it, you know, because I missed it. If you, so I I didn't realize this until I was pregnant. We always think about like your life starts when you're born into this world and that's when all of the programming begins and that's when your parents start to teach you consciously Mm -hmm. or subconsciously. But the reality is that we, we are in our mother's womb, whatever she feels we feel. So Mm -hmm. when my mom was pregnant with me, she was trying to leave my father. I'm the youngest of three. So imagine mm-hmm. if you are a woman who is plotting divorce to a man who has a drinking problem and you have two children and you're pregnant with your third. The amounts of cortisol in her body and in her bloodstream. Yeah. I mean, I was raised, I was, I was created in a stress cocktail of hormones. So yeah. when I came out, I was like, I want those. I, I knew those, you know? And it was just from that point on, you know, when people say drama always finds me, right? Like the people that are attracted to the drama, they're recreating that past pain. They're recreating that past confusion and conflict because it feels comfortable for them. As crazy as that sounds, it's like, but that's what they know. That's what I knew. So I recreated it everywhere I went. I lived my life with those super high highs and super low lows because- Mm -hmm it resembled that that sense of drama and conflict and anticipation and not knowing what was next. And yeah, I mean, so much of that was my doing. Yeah. So obviously that was like a big roadblock for you is overcoming that draw to the stress cycle and, and the pain and things like that. So how did you really overcome that? Well, first of all, I have, I have an amazing support system and I didn't realize that until, until I started asking them for support. <laughs> you know, we have these friendships in our lives that I, I don't think we realize how much our people can give us until we start asking them to show up for us. Yeah. And so when I was going through this, I told a couple of my closest friends, I was like, listen, you guys, I am breaking <laughs> down my patterns and I need help. I need support. We would go to breakfast once a week. And I mean, for like two years, every week, breakfast on Friday morning, and just talk out all of the stuff, you know, all of the good stuff, bad stuff, the, the 
triumphs, the mini triumphs where I sit there and say, oh my God, you guys, you don't understand. I've been creating this pain. And they're like nodding their head like, girl, we know. (laughs) 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 We've been watching you for the last 10 years. So I had an amazing support system. But really, so there's so much knowledge out there about how to heal yourself. I mean, how to really identify the obstacles of your past and how to overcome them there. I, I, you know, there's so many podcasts. There's so many, I was going to say Ted talks, but I feel like they're declining, but even on social media, on Instagram, I, I did a total Instagram swipe um, where I just cleared everyone I was following about five years ago. And it was, cause it was just thousands of brands and influencers and random people and so many good looking men. It was just, (laughs) (laughs) who are all these people? So I ended up deleting all of them and then just really being intentional about what was in my feed and what was in my view, you know, what was I spending Mm -hmm. all of my time looking at and was it serving me? Really? It was doing an inventory of my life. And so I started following, you know, rising women and I started following like just things that would motivate me and would be a call to action. And just a reminder, like Jess, you are on the right path. And most and more importantly than anything else, you are not alone. You are not the only person who's healing. You're not the only person who's going through this. You are not broken. There's something wrong with you. You are a human being having a human experience and that's totally fine. You know, so I just... I put so many of those women in my view and I started to talk to other women and that was the thing that really changed everything. Because of course, we all know that shame feels so isolating, trauma feels so isolating. You know, what Kelsey just said about her experience, I'm sure that did not just roll off your tongue oh, two weeks after it happened. You know, it's like all of that we, we, we keep all of these things back about our experience because we feel like if people knew this about me, they wouldn't love me. And if people yeah. knew this about me, they wouldn't accept me. And yep. so we keep it to ourselves and we keep it to ourselves. And the reality is that if people knew this about you, then they could connect with you, right? Yes. Like this is the truth. Mm-hmm. And so once I started talking to other women and sharing bits and pieces of my story and you know, there's, there's so much of it, but just, just really tapping into connecting. And, you know, my therapist was, she was not easy. She was like, okay, great. You're doing amazing work in therapy twice a week. I want you to go to a codependence anonymous meeting. And I was like, excuse me. (laughs) Uh, I didn't even know what codependency was. I thought, I, I, she said that and I was like, what are you talking about? I've had a job since I was 14. I'm super independent. She's like, that's, that's not what codependence is. Codependence is whenever you put somebody else's wants or needs above your own. It's whenever you can't, you can't be your own advocate. It's when you mm-hmm. can't ask for what you want because you don't know what you deserve. And I was like, well, shit, I am a codependent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it was being in those rooms and even just I mean, I went for a year. She had me, she tried to get me in everything. She's like, go to Al-Anon because your father struggles with alcohol and you're repeating those patterns in relationships. Go to, I I stopped and she was like, you need to go to Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. I was like, I've been celibate for nine months. What are you talking about? (laughs) But the point was, you know, she said, if you are ready to hear truth, you need to be in rooms where truth is being spoken. And there Mm. are rooms women's groups, there are so many places where people are speaking their actual truth about their hardship, about their recovery. And for the rest of the world, you know, they're just repeating the narratives that do well at parties. They're repeating the narratives that are entertaining just enough and pitiful just enough to get sympathy. And, you know, it's like these narratives that are on replay. And if anyone has been in a relationship for more than a year, you start to realize like your partner has the same stories (laughs) and they just tell them in the exact same way at every party. It's like one of those things you sort of just slowly hate. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But we all do that, right? We all have these uh, pillar narratives that make up who we are to the outside world. And for many of us, but especially for me, my narratives were flawed and they were holding me back from creating a life that I was so grateful to be in, you know, and I feel like that's where I am now after some seriously, seriously hard internal work. I'm at a point where 
I wake up and I am so damn grateful that I did the ugly part, you know, the uncomfortable part, the very, very unsexy part of going to therapy, going to group, being sober. Stop. I mean, I stopped drinking. It'll be a year in April. And it was just this decision that I had, if I looked back in all of my journals, I um, have been keeping a journal since I was a little girl. And I would look back every few years as an adult, I would say, you know, I really wish that I could just stop drinking totally. I really wonder what it's like to be totally sober. Hmm. And it wasn't, it was this desire that never really came to fruition because I never really dedicated myself to that choice. I would play Hmm. with it. I would toy with it. But once I decided once, you know, this is it, this is who I want to be. It was so easy to stop because that action did not support the lifestyle that I was aiming for. And that really was like, the, I guess, the, the defining thing that shifted my life from you know, the never-ending echo of, of self-harming narratives to what it is now is that I sat down and I got so honest about what I wanted my life to be. And before that... You know, my therapist was the first person I think that I can ever recall asking me, Jessica, what do you want? Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you grow up in a house where there is struggle before you're born and there is suffering after you're born, no one's asking you what you want, right? Mm -hmm. You get what you get and you don't get upset. (laughs) It's like no one's asking you what you want. There's no room for you to want. And so you learn not to want. You know, Mm. I was like a party trick. Look how little I need. I would enter relationships as the cool girl, the yeah, you do you, I'll do me girl. You know, it's Mm. like that was so unfulfilling to just be a blank canvas for other people to project their fantasies on. And that's what I was for so many years until I stopped and got clarity and someone I trusted and respected asked me, Jessica, what do you want? And I sat in her office and I sobbed because I could not answer the question. I couldn't answer the question. I don't know what I want. I knew for sure what I didn't want. I'd had plenty of what I didn't want. Yeah. But what did I want? Ugh, so like really spending, uh, I think I spent probably maybe two months just zeroing in. What do I want my life to look like? And I compartmentalized everything or I separated everything. What do I want my my writing life? How do I want to feel? Who do I want to work for? What do I want to write? My teaching life? What kind of writers do I want to draw to me? Who do I want to teach? What do I want my relationship to look like? You guys, I have to send you this. <laughs> I have to send you this photo. I, I wrote down what I wanted my home to look like. And, and at the time I was living in like a really lovely, you know, like an industrial loft in downtown New York. Mm. And it was beautiful, but it was just like in a complicated situation with my partner. And so I was like, what do I want my home to look like? And I wrote out this like very, very specific description of, you know, not even, not the rooms because who cares about rooms? I was thinking like the color, the light I wanted to, you know, I wrote down, how do you want to feel in this house? Mm. And I took some photos from the internet and I put it in a separate folder on my phone. And (laughs) this house that I'm living in, in Bali, what, five years later, four years later, I was deleting photos because, oh my God, somehow I have 11,000 plus on my phone. What's wrong with me? (laughs) (laughs) But I was deleting photos and I came across that folder and I started sobbing because the house that I'm living in, in a country that I did not even live in when I made this list, when when I grabbed those photos, it is almost identical. Oh my God. It was just like, and honestly, like the teaching that I do, I, I teach women, um, I teach writing classes and writing workshops for women. And it's like every single time I open up a course, it's sold out. And every single woman that is in there is just, I mean, just amazing, just beautiful. And like people that if I could pluck them, you know, and pick them and handpick them, these are the women that I want to be surrounded by. And it's like everything I wrote down step by step by step has come into fruition. And that is because I know without a doubt in my mind what I want and I'm focusing on it as opposed to knowing what you don't want and focusing on that. That is all you will see. (laughs) If you're focusing on what you don't want, 
you're just going to find more and more and more examples of what you don't want. Yeah, that's a good point. It's amazing how like just that perspective shift changes everything in your life. Like instead of focusing on all the things that are going wrong and having that victim mindset and focusing Mm -hmm. on what you can control and what you do want, it changes everything. And and realizing something that you said that was so big is that you do have resources. There are people who want to help. And you you can't let fear of what people are going to think about you hold you Mm -hmm. back from doing the hard work. Because what if you hadn't talked to your friends or gone to therapy or unpacked all of those things that were kind of holding you back, like you wouldn't be where you are today. You wouldn't be able to impact all the women that you're impacting with your writing courses or with your, you know, presence on social media or like just on this podcast today. I think it's important that everybody realizes and something that I'm taking away from this too is like, there is help out there if you want it. There are resources. There's free resources. There's people who love you and like care enough to hear what you have to say and sometimes tell you the things that you don't want to hear. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, you're in control and you can manifest what you want in your life. And I think that's incredible. So let's go back and let's talk about like what's one thing, like if you could talk to your younger self, like if you could look at 14-year-old mm-hmm. Jessica and say, this is the one thing you need to know, what's one thing that you would tell her? Oh my goodness. I always think um, they did an anthology of letters to my younger self, which I love that book. I love that idea because you have this wisdom or at least you know, experience that is available to you that you didn't have when you were 14, 10. And so it's, it's um, the idea of reparenting almost, right? Where mm-hmm. you go back and you are a support system for yourself when you didn't have one. So I love this idea. And I think for me, at any age, at the age of seven, at the age of 14, at the age of 21, I would have said to myself that, you know, there are no mistakes in this life and every part of your experience is going to serve a purpose, you know? So don't run away from it. Just don't push it away. Don't resist it. Just embrace what is the reality of your life right now at seven, at 14, at 21, at 28, you know, embrace every part of it. Thank it because you are going to use it in ways you cannot imagine. I think that being able to, I, it's so funny because I keep going back to this. I was told by a therapist to write a letter to my younger self. Mm -hmm. And that is such a powerful, powerful thing. It's actually something that I've had some of my clients do too, just because everything that you've said, (laughs) I can't, I feel like I'm like, I have so much to say that I can't get all of my, (laughs) my words together here. But really being able to understand yourself, like everything that you're saying, I think that I agree with so much is it all comes back to like being able to find a way to see your potential, understand that you're not alone and finding whatever way that you need to, to make that happen. Because so often we block ourselves from what's actually available to us by doing things like focusing on what we don't want. And if you're unsure of what you want, like you said, when you were in there and you were like, I don't even know what I want. I just know what I don't want. And I specifically remember being in that same place and how dark and how lonely that can feel because you feel like you're the only person going through that. And I mean, Mm -hmm. that's a big, that's a big reason why we made this podcast to basically take an opportunity for people to like broadcast, like, Hey, I was sexually abused. Hey, I had this trauma. Hey, I went through this and look, and here I am and I'm thriving and I can do these things because just hearing it is like, okay, if they can make it through that, if they can make it to the other side, if they can make it to where whatever their success feels like to them, then why can't I? Or what do I need to do to get there? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the idea of expanders, right? If we only base our life by the success or the growth or the healing that we've seen happen around us, sometimes Mm -hmm. that's very limiting, right? Mm -hmm. If we don't know anybody that has ever gone to college, 
right? If we don't know a single person who's ever gone to college, then like for us, that's not going to be a reality. That's going to be so far removed from our ambition because we've never seen it. You may as well tell me that I'm going to the moon, you know? Yeah. So anybody who's ever stayed married for a duration that feels solid, you know, if we don't know anybody who's ever stopped using drugs or stopped drinking or recovered from something. So when we hear stories like yours, when we hear stories like all of these women that are sharing, they become expanders for us, right? They expand Mm -hmm. our worldview. And so if they can do it, why can't I? I think that's so, so, so right on what you said. And the same thing goes for desire, right? If we keep our desires limited to what we've seen other people in our lives achieve and what we think we deserve, we are, our life is not going to look like we want it to, right? We have to expand what is available to us. If someone said, what do you want? You can have anything you want and you just chose something safe, right? Something that was almost certain that you could achieve. I feel like that is such a limited way of living. And yet I did that for so long. I did that, you know, it's, I think a lot of us end up doing that. We definitely, every single one of us have gone to, and I think it goes back to what you were saying before. And and Mindy and I often talk about this, about the comfort and the discomfort zones and how, because what we see in our lives becomes our comfort zone. So even if that is finding comfort in chaos and in pain, like that's where we are used to living. And so anything else is so unknown to us that it's better if we can just stay in the same place because then we don't have to learn, then we don't have to grow, then we don't have to challenge ourselves or do the hard work. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's funny that I was looking up, I was Googling the definition of the word brave yesterday (laughs) (laughs) because I kept thinking, what does that mean to me? Like, would I even consider identifying or describing myself as brave? Because I know, I don't think that I would. And yet every time I've ever written anything about, you know, uh, any kind of trauma or divorce or heartbreak or abuse, everyone responds by saying, wow, that's so brave. So Mm. I wanted to know what the actual definition of it was. And I don't like, I don't like the actual definition of brave because it says to endure or potentially face unpleasant behaviors without showing fear. And I have shown fear in every area of my life at every, every step of the way I have been so afraid of what's going to happen. And so if I could redefine, (laughs) I mean like apologies in advance, Webster's dictionary, if I could redefine <laughs> the word brave, I think that it would be, you know, just doing these things in spite of fear because we're going to yes. be afraid. It's, there's nothing scarier, mm-hmm. right, than doing something you've never done before. It's like do it in spite of fear, even if you don't know the outcome, especially when you don't know the outcome. Because there's nothing brave about me writing a piece about, you know, about co parenting. When I know that the outcome is going to be, there's a lot of people who understand what I'm saying and they're going to agree with me. That's not brave. That's just great marketing. You know, right. it's like, it, it's brave if you do something despite whether or not you know the outcome. And if you feel fear, then welcome to being a human. Like, Yeah, yes. exactly. I always say to my clients and on my social media, like I always say, see the fear and do it anyways, yeah. because it's yeah. going to continue to be there no matter what we do, no matter where we sh- where we go, what we choose, it's going to be there. It's going to keep coming back. And when, cl- when I talk to clients even about fear in general, I'm like, we're not trying to get rid of fear because that's not a thing. What we're trying to do is choose to see it and then choose to proceed with what we want to yeah. do. Yeah, absolutely. I have this, this, uh, I I think of it as an epiphany because I've never thought of it before. I have spent a lot of my life in fear and I am currently living on an, I like to refer to it as the Island of death because there's so many potential. There's like an earthquake every two hours. There's tsunami warnings. I'm, I don't know what I'm doing here other than facing the fears, but I've spent a lot of my time living with fear is like my sidekick. It's always there. I always feel it. It causes a lot of anxiety. And I was flying last week 
I have a, I have a terrible fear of flying and yet I'm on a plane more than anyone else I know. So I'm like, okay, it's not stopping me from living, but I was flying and we were taking off. And I always have these moments at takeoff where I'm listening to like my very loud, soothing music in my earbuds. And I was just, you know, like feeling that fear and letting it go through me. And I had this realization that my fear has never once saved me, ever. Mm -hmm. Not mm -hmm. once, not ever. And everyone says, oh, you know, fear serves a purpose. And yes, it does, right? It's, it's our gut. It's our inner, well, that's not actually even true. Fear serves a purpose, but so often what we, what we think of as fear is actually just anxiety, right? Of all of the things that can go wrong. I think that fear is a different thing. So I'm like, my fear has never once saved me. And yet I take it with me everywhere. <laughs> like, yeah. Why? Why? You know, it's just really re-examining these things. Why do we do what we do? And does it serve us? And if it doesn't, how can we stop? It, yeah. it sounds so simple, but it's taken me years and years to, to get to that point where I can just say it. Yeah. And I think that's a really powerful tool to have is like being able to reflect on that and see how things are serving you. And is this actually serving me in a way that is going to push me forward and propel me forward? So thank yeah. you for sharing that. So one thing that we really like to do here on the podcast is we love to leave people with action items on things that they can do, um, tools that they can use moving forward in their life. And I think that you've shared so much today, but if you could for us, like leave us with one thing, just like one takeaway from this conversation and a tool that our audience could use. What's the one thing that you would share with them? Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you guys do that because so often it's like, here's all this wisdom. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will share one of the things that I learned from a mentor of mine. Uh, she wrote a book, Lauren, Lauren Hand, I'm messing up her name. Lauren Zandor, oh, forget it. Anyway, she wrote a book called Maybe It's You. <laughs> it's 5 a.m. here. I have no idea. So um, she wrote a book called Maybe It's You. And it's this brilliant book about how like, yes, we can continue blaming everything outside of us or we can start to look at ourselves. And so in that book, she has, um, you don't have to read the book. I suggested it's a good read if you want it, but I highly recommend doing this part. Get yourself a little notebook, a little whatever, just something for you to have and to keep for years and years and years. And on each page or every couple of pages, really write down what you want your life to look like in present tense, mm. right? I am the most fit, the healthiest version of myself. I wake up every morning and I go take a run on the beach. Like, I don't even know if you live near a beach, not important. <laughs> like in your fantasy future version of yourself, this is what you do. And this is what you feel like. And this is what your life looks like. Do it for your relationship, right? Do it for what your work life looks like. Do it for what your home looks like. Do it for what your friendships feel like, right? What kind of friends do you have? What kind of support system do you have? Do it for what you want your, your health and your diet to look like. You know, um, a few years ago when I was doing this, I wrote down, I am living a totally healthy, sober life. I have a plant-based diet. Like I probably was eating a cheeseburger and drinking a beer when I wrote that, but it was <laughs> a desire I had. It was something that I wanted so badly. And even if it wasn't my reality yet, I knew that it was what I wanted for me. And that is what my life is like right now. So and I, I want to really emphasize one thing. Take the time to do this for yourself. Don't do what you think other people think your life should look like. Don't, don't write down what your part, like don't think about your partner. Do not think about your partner. Do not think about your children when you are writing down your vision for your life and your happiness because your life and your happiness does not and should not hinge on what your partner thinks or what your children think or what your parents think or what your friends think. Because at the end of the day, you answer to yourself, right? You're accountable mm -hmm. to yourself. So whatever those desires are and make them so big, so big that mm -hmm. you're a little, you blush a little bit when you write them, you know? And then the next step of that is to start saying them out loud. Do you know what people did when I was like, you guys, I'm going to move to Bali. I want to move to Bali. Like that was on my pages and then I had to bring it to life, right? By speaking life into it. 
So as soon as I started saying that, people were like, I mean, it was like one of two camps. They were like, are you out of your mind? (laughs) And then the other ones were like, wow, that would be amazing. But really say it, right? Use your voice to speak life into those desires. And then the next step is what can you do to make that happen? And it's going to be so, so small. The first thing I did in my step toward moving to Bali is I went on Instagram and I followed like a hundred accounts of Bali stuff, right? Like Bali tourism and this grocery store called Zero Waste here in Bali. And I just wanted to have a constant reminder in my visual, like in my periphery of what I wanted my life to look like. So I don't know how anyone else in the world is using Instagram, but I use it as basically a vision board come to life. So the people that. that I'm Love it, it really is so, it's such a tool. And yet I find that so many people are using it in a way that they hate it. Like they're miserable when they turn it off. But mine, I look at Instagram and I'm like, yeah, girl, you are on your way. Like <laughs> going next. And you know, the next place that we're family is moving after Bali is in Ojai, California. And already I'm like, okay, this is what's next. And I already have like my feed and it just, it's just a reminder of what you're aiming for. Yeah, so that, that, those are my suggestions. But the real thing is, is get honest about what you want and, and know what you deserve. And when I say know what you deserve, I'll just answer it for you. You deserve everything beautiful and good and happy in this life. And if no one has ever told you that or made you feel that way, I'm going to be the one to say it. You deserve everything that is beautiful and good and happy in this life period. So aim for those things. I love that you broke it down into steps and you're right. Everybody, it doesn't matter what you've done or or where you've come from. We all deserve that peace and and to live our purpose. So I want to kind of shift here as we're wrapping up. And I know that Mindy and I have talked about it a little bit, but I want to give you an opportunity to share First, like, where can people find you? How can they talk to you? And then second, tell us about your writing courses. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> so funny because I just assume that everyone knows what I know. I'm like, oh. Okay, so you can always find me on Instagram, Twitter. I, although I hate Twitter because it's become a political landmine. At the writer Jess. And then my website is thewriterjess.com. On social media, I'm... I think I'm fairly active. I always respond to my DMs. Uh, at least I try to. <laughs> There's so many. Yeah. So always feel free to reach out. If you have any questions, if you have any anything, like anything to share, I'm always down to talk to strangers. And then two, my writing courses. So I, this was one of the things that was on my list five years ago. I at that point was teaching for um, Columbia. I was teaching at Catapult. I was teaching all of these, you know, writing classes for different companies. And they, you know, whenever you work through somebody, they take a huge chunk of what you make and rightfully so they're doing your marketing. They're doing all of the work for you. But I was also just teaching people that I, well, first of all, I was teaching men and women, which I found I did not want to be in classrooms with men anymore And it's nothing against men. They are beautiful and they're wonderful. But at that point and at this point in my life, I am really focused on forming connections and collaborations with women. And also in the workshop sphere, you know, writing workshops, men tend to give feedback in (laughs) very different, unhelpful ways. So anyway, (laughs) I'm like, how how do I say? But uh, what I wrote down was, I want to work with women. I want to help them tell their stories. I want them. I want to help them and guide them into how do you take an experience and mine it for its value that you can share with other people. Because I felt like I had been doing that for years, right? I had 10 years of, of working in journalism, a lot of nonfiction, a lot of personal essay. And a lot of my writing, at least the writing that I enjoyed the most was sharing what my experience was and then connecting with with readers, connecting with other people so that they could share their experience back. So I wrote down, you know, like, this is where I want to teach and I want to be able to work from anywhere, which by the way, at that point, I was schlepping from downtown Manhattan to Midtown to teach classes twice a week and then all the way uptown in Morningside to go teach twice a week. It was just like, this was not my reality when I wrote it. 
But then I had this moment one day I was sitting, do you guys know the wing? Um, it's a female, it's like a women owned and women run workspace that started in New York, but now it's everywhere. But I used to work out of there. Yeah, it's really beautiful. And it's such a great place to collaborate. I was sitting there one morning and I was just like, why am I teaching at all of these places? Why am I stretching myself so thin? I don't, I'm not happy. Why don't I just teach myself? Like, why don't I just do this on my own? Okay, first of all, I didn't even have a website, right? Like I had (laughs) no idea. I had never even taken an online class. I had no I mean, I had enough of a following that I actually had more of a following than the places I was teaching for. But then I was like, how do I market? I don't know how to do any of this. Do tax, how do taxes work? Like (laughs) all of these things that I was just totally blind about. I had no concept of how to even start. So what I did, the very first thing I did, because I was like, why not me, right? Why not me? Why can't I do this? Why can't I have this, this kind of life? And so I wrote this email that I have saved in my, in my email um, and we'll save it forever because it's one of, I would say it's probably the bravest thing I've ever done because I had no idea what the outcome was going to be. And I was really just like riding high on enthusiasm and, and some, you know, I must've just left therapy or something, but (laughs) I wrote this email and it was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to start teaching a writing class at the wing Tuesday nights this is what I can teach. It's just personal essay and um, nonfiction writing, how to pitch your work, how to sell it. And, you know, I'm so scared to do this, but if I can do things that terrify me, you can do things that terrify you. And I put a link and it was so bare bones, like so bare bones. (laughs) It was like the saddest, the saddest website to ever exist. And I pressed send and I sent it out to women I didn't know, women I barely knew. I mean, I sent it to probably, I don't know, a hundred people. And you know those emails that you send and you like, as soon as you push the button, you like slam your computer shut and run away like, oh, I did it. Okay, so that was that moment. (laughs) (laughs) And I went, I sent it off and then I went into the wing has a meditation room and I just went in there and I was like, okay. I have to remind myself that whatever the outcome of this is, it doesn't dictate my worth. So if no one signs up, it doesn't mean that I am a failure. And if one person signs up, it doesn't mean that I'm not a good writer or a good teacher. So I just gave myself this little pep talk. I was in there for an hour and I came out, I went back to my desk and I opened up my computer and I was just going through emails and the entire class, I had 15 spots and they had totally, all of them sold out. And I cried, I cried because I was like, I mean, you know, the moment that you make money from doing something that you love without this, I mean, like without anybody else doing it for you, oh my God, it feels so good. It's like this boost of independence, like, holy shit, I can do this and I'm gonna do this. So that was three years ago and I have been going nonstop. I mean, I, now I do it online, right? Cause I'm in Bali, but I spent a year building an online platform where I could teach remotely. And I have students from like Nairobi. I have a student in Cape town. I have students in South America and it's hell for time differences. I'll tell you that. <laughs> but it's just like the reach that I have now is so remarkable and is such a vast difference from that, you know, that version of me that was so, so nervous about sending out this idea into the world that I literally slammed my computer and ran away from it. (laughs) Like, oh, how far I've come. So yeah, I teach women how to write their stories, tell their stories and sell their stories. That is in a summary what I do. I love that. That's incredible. What it like it's so funny like how how much things can change when you just take that one, one small step, the thing that terrifies you and like I I'm just picturing you running away from the computer because I've done it myself like oh did I just do that? Did I just do that? Did I just yeah. do that? So thank yeah. you for sharing that. That was that was amazing. So Jess, thank you so much for coming on the show today. We really, I, I'm speaking for Kelsey and I both, but I know she feels the same way. We just both really enjoyed listening to you. I just like touched my soul. I think that your story is just so important and I can't thank you enough for, for joining us. 
Thank you so much for having me. This was wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. I'm, I love what you guys are doing. So keep, keep going. This is episode 10, but when it's episode 100, I'll come back in and be like, hey guys. <laughs> and yeah, then I love five, it. Yeah, you're on your way. So I'm, I'm super proud of the work you guys are doing. It's very, very important. Yeah, Thanks. thank you. Thank you so, so much for being here. And thank you. Like I said, it was very very emotional for the, the everything that you were saying was resonating with me so, so much. And I, uh, I love that you're writing and I have a goal actually that I'm, this is the first time I've spoken it out loud, I think, but to, <laughs> to, to, uh, to start, uh, writing my book this year. So you might Beautiful. just hear from me for, uh, I'm so excited writing. So, um, but yeah, thank you so, so much again for being here. And Mindy, what are we talking about on our next episode? So our next episode is going to be all about owning your story and who you are and accepting that and talking about it and being comfortable with it. So come join us next week. We're really excited to chat about it. Yeah, it's going to be good because I think, you know, it's interesting because this 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 episode kind of feeds right into that about re, we really can't become who we're meant to be until we find out who we are and we accept who we are and, and get to do that, that hard work and work through it. So thank you guys for being here. Thank you for listening. Please rate, review, subscribe, whatever listening platform you're on. We appreciate it so, so much. Tell your friends, tag us on social media when you're listening and don't forget to live bravely today. If you are a CEO or entrepreneur, I want to invite you into a space that's unlike anything out there. CEO Power Hour is a free monthly live experience that you can join in person or virtually to get your questions answered to fulfill the desires for your business. Inside this room, you bring your biggest goal, the obstacles you are experiencing, or anything you want my expertise, eyes, and ears on. This guidance, along with the ideas and inspiration from other powerful women, allows you to be fully immersed in the energy of being supported and learn in a completely new way so that you can expand your business and your life to the next level. I created CEO Power Hour to bring together powerful business owners for connection, collaboration, and coaching. This is your invitation, and it's free. The link is in the show notes, so I hope to see you at our next monthly meeting.